Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Prime Minister has approved the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion again. Will it help or hinder his chances of re-election? Now that the pipeline has been reapproved, will it actually get built or more death by delays? And many are talking about Premier Doug Ford being booed at the Toronto Raptors rally. Would this be the same crowd that cheered when Kevin Durant went down? We'll talk the political ramifications, all on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. As you heard yesterday, the uh, PM uh, gave the big okay for the Trans Mountain uh, Pipeline, and he said that it, it, it is a go, it will go, and it will start during this construction season, uh, and stressed that... Uh, we have to uh, get our resources to market and use the profits in order to uh, build a renewable energy industry and whatever the next phase of life is for us. So the interesting thing is uh, many are complaining that, uh, you know, uh, just uh, prior to all of this, the government declared a state of emergency uh, when it comes to climate change and now opening pipelines. Can you ride this fence? How do you do this? Uh, let's bring in uh, Barry Kay. He is with us, Wilfrid Laurier University, on the line with us now. Barry, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah, I'm, I could hear you. All right. Thanks so much for the time, Barry. Uh, appreciate you being here. Your thoughts on the fine line that the Prime Minister is is walking right now. Does this help or hurt him announcing the pipeline? Look, this is all the result of politicians trying to be all things to all people. Boy, is it ever, Barry. I mean, that's the nail on the head right there, isn't it? There, there's an inherent conflict between uh, the, the our concern with uh, global warming and trying to reduce carbon um, and the fact and an acknowledgement that Canada is a resource producing and energy producing nation. Um, and that, uh, you know, when one tries to make everybody happy at the same time, and again, uh, the, the lines are getting, are, are getting harsher because of the fact that increasingly Canada's polarized. When the Liberals first got into this, they had many more provincial governments that were sort of prepared to go along, particularly if they were sort of, it, it was in their financial interest to do so. But in the, uh, the years since Trudeau initially followed this particular um, approach, We've seen uh, conservatives elected in a number of places, including Alberta, Ontario, Manitoba, and so forth. And all of a sudden, he's got real resistance at the provincial level. Um, there's no, there's no, uh, perhaps, perhaps the um, the what used to be called Kinder Morgan, which is the the Trans Mountain Pipeline, shouldn't have been purchased by the government. But now that it has been purchased by the government, the government can't easily just sort of walk away from it and say it was all a mistake, especially when there's an election coming in a few months and it's just going to make them look even worse than they do now. Remembering that they're behind in the polls, too. They're, the conservatives aren't in a majority position, but at the moment, if an election was held, the, the likelihood is the conservatives would end up with more seats than the liberals. Anyway, you've got this sort of dog's breakfast of all sorts of conflicting positions and, and priorities for the, the federal government. And uh, I gather uh, from the people that were at the announcement yesterday that there was a line in one of the papers I was reading that the the uh, federal cabinet ministers looked as if as if their dog had died. <laughs> you know, the announcement of this 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 particular um, proposal. Um, it, it, of course, it's not ideologically consistent, but that's just the way it is. The liberals are trying to make the best they can out of a a rather sad sad set of assumptions which seemed to be more plausible a couple of years ago, than the, and certainly a year ago when they bought Kinder Morgan. At the time, if one remembers, the Kinder Morgan basically started, came to understand that there were going to be environmental challenges, indigenous challenges, 
and they decided that they were just going to walk away from it. The federal government didn't have to buy the project, but the fact it did means it invested somewhat $4.5 billion. Anyway, that's kind of where we are. And um, when you ask, what are the implications of all of this? Nothing good. <laughs> nothing good for the country, nothing good for the, um, for the government. And I guess just the hope that the, um, because of the fact we've got an election coming up, that the people who are strongly affected by it will 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 find other kind of priorities and perhaps be less uh, less likely to hold that the federal government in in uh, you know in criticism as a result. But um, none of this looks good, and I'm not sure, frankly, the conservatives are probably just trying to keep their heads down. We'll see what the announcement is later, but um, it's it's not clear that that they they have a particular winning strategy either because there really isn't a winning strategy. Mm. Uh, politically, um, the, the, the one salvation for the liberals is they're in such bad shape in Western Canada, there probably aren't that many seats that are in jeopardy anyway. Hmm. There are, they are in jeopardy in British Columbia to a certain degree. That's where the environmentalist position is stronger. In Alberta, they have a few seats, but those are, are probably all going to be lost. Um, and then indeed, there's this, this natural tension between Alberta, an energy producer, and British Columbia, which in fact is very much environmentally conscious. Even though you had NDP governments in both provinces, they were at, at yeah. each other's throats. So, but, but um, you know, I found Trudeau's quote I- interesting, Barry, and he said, uh, and I'm reading, I'm, I'm reading just a portion of it. In order to bridge the gap between where we are and where we're, we need or going to be, we need money to pay for it. We should harvest what we have and invest in projects in the projects that come next, building the clean energy future that is already on our doorsteps. That sounds like a lot of common sense, Barry, but it. it, it it appears uh, in the past he's he's been so concerned about addressing the extremes that, that, that he doesn't seem to have a common sense approach like this is. Uh, you know, one minute he's saying that the world's coming to an end and the other second he's talking like this. Now, to me, w- this quote, I, I think this is going to go a long way for him. But you know, if if you're a left-leaning environmentalist who was hoping the pipelines would be our history in Canada, you're going to be very upset. Which can, which prime minister do Canadians believe here? Well, the phrase sounds good. Implementing it is something else again. Uh, what he's tried to do to candy coat what's really an impossible situation is to suggest that by by being anti-environment in terms of you know increasing pipeline usage that indeed the money is going to be used for good purposes yeah, yeah, yeah. so you're we're trying to you know to have it both ways i'm not sure it's going to work i'm not sure it's credible and in fact uh, you know again I, I don't want to suggest that i know where the uh, what canada is going to do four months from now because we wrote four months from the election uh, uh that indeed it's it's not at all clear that the liberals are going to be able to implement anything and then it'll be the conservatives that are going to have this problem but right now, there's a, this tension between environmentalist concerns, which are significant in seats, especially in British Columbia, because that's where the pipeline's coming through, from Edmonton, I think, to Burnaby, um, and, uh, and the people in Alberta who are, who, whose economy is very much based upon, it's not just B.C. versus Alberta, but that's, that's the core of the issue. And to, to, to try and square that circle and to suggest they can make everybody happy, it just isn't going to happen, even with... Um, high-minded sounding phrases that mm. make it sound like they're but what uh, what they're trying to do is is buy off with money from the pipeline the concerns of the environmentalists right. suggesting that the profits are going to go in that direction i guess in an impossible situation that's as good a resolution as the liberals can come up with i'm sure they've given it lots of thought but it isn't particularly satisfactory now whether how much impact that's going to have in ontario which is really where the determination of how the election in october is really going to be set the uh, the liberals are going to lose seats. They're not going to lose everything. They'll still hold seats in 
Winnipeg a little bit and um, and and Vancouver, but that's basically it. West of Canada, I guess Goodale may be able to see in Regina, but there's not much else that's coming up. The election is going to be won or lost between the Liberals and Conservatives in Ontario. Quite frankly, this general neck of the woods, the 905, the area around Toronto, how it plays in Ontario, I'm not so sure. I'm not sure this is a high priority. Uh, the concern for the Liberals and indeed the the other parties other than the Conservatives, is that the environmental vote is going to be split in different ways with the Greens, the NDP, and the Liberals. Um, and strategic voting may very well uh, come into place. The environmentalists are not going to vote Conservative, that's, that's for sure. So, in fact, in terms of winning the election in Ontario, uh, Trudeau probably doesn't have to be as hardline uh, green as he might be. But uh, anyway, these are the different calculations that are going into it. Um, as we said at the outset, the situation's a mess. Circumstance, it's all the law of unintended consequences. When the commitment to buying Trans Mountain was done by the Liberals, the, the political circumstances did not look as they do now. Um, you know, there's something else that makes it even worse, which is... So you, you were talking about how the political circumstances were different when they actually purchased the Trans Mountain. So had those political, had that political situation, those political situations stayed the same, would he not be okaying this pipeline now? Well, the provincial, the, the, there were provincial governments in place that were going along with the, uh, the carbon pricing. Um, and uh, and that, that's one of the factors that's changed. Now that, in fact, you've got conservatives very much ramping up right. opposition to the whole environmental project. That it's inconsistent and hypocritical goes without saying. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's a function of different regional interests. Right. Uh, Alberta and B.C. being core to it, but those are, there's people with positions in other places in Ontario as well. Uh, but in terms of, you know, one of the questions I think you're interested in is, how is this going to play politically? And where it's really important, it's not so much in Alberta and B.C. It, it involves a few seats there. It's the 905 around Toronto, particularly, you know, certainly extending into um, the, you know, the Niagara Peninsula. That's where the election is going to be won and lost. I'm not sure to what extent Ontarians are, are, are concerned about this issue. Some are. The people that are environmentalists are not voting conservative. But I'm not sure the people that are on the other side are as concerned because we are not an oil and energy producing province in Ontario. Mm. Our jobs are not on the line in the way they are in Alberta. So in terms of the political implications, I'm not sure. Um, but in terms of the fact that it's an irresolvable mess, that, that goes without mm. saying. Why declare a climate state of emergency all in the same week? I mean, that, it looks now that that was simply done to soften the political blow of the construction announcement. Um, uh, why even bring that up? Does that help or hurt at this point? Well, it comes back. <laughs> Who's a good, it, it helps with some people and hurts with others. Um, I frankly think, from the liberal position, trying to play to the Alberta vote is a non-winner. They're, they're not going to, I don't think they're going to win any seats in Alberta, and they didn't do very well last time anyway. There were a couple, I guess, around Edmonton, and I think one in Calgary that they had a shot at. Um, I think the, the, the smart liberal position is to try to look more environmental, but not look like you're incompetent, given that purchasing Trans Mountain may, in hindsight, being seen as incompetent. They can't say that it was a mistake, because it just makes them look incompetent, even though the people who benefit from the purchase of Trans Mountain in Alberta aren't going to reward the Liberals anyway. Um, it, there really are a number of moving parts to the, the political calculation of all this. The reason I'm mentioning in Ontario is that it's really in Ontario where the election, that's where the swing ridings are, where yeah. lots of them are, um, and that's where the determination of the election is, is, is going to be set. Um, the Conservatives are gaining versus the Liberals, but public opinion in, Al in Ontario has not moved away from the Liberals nearly to the degree it's moved in Western Canada. So that's not clear either. Um, there isn't a simple answer to all of this other than there's no easy way out. I don't think the, um, 
uh, taking a strong pro-Alberta, pro-pipeline position helps but the, for the, the, the Liberals in terms of winning seats. But it does at least ameliorate the, the suggestion that they were incompetent by buying buying the Trans Mountain. The and Prime that, Minister, that's a done deal. The Prime Minister said long ago and has has been pretty steady that he he wants to get uh, Canada's natural resources to market. He has continually said that. So should we be surprised? Well, no. And, and look, in people with environmental concerns, and I share them, uh, have to understand that our economy is disproportionately based on environmentally uh, on excuse me on, on natural resources on yeah. carbons. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it can be done in a cleaner kind of way. Perhaps moving toward natural gas away from the tar sands and so forth is the way to go in the future. But we shouldn't ignore the fact that our econ- our economic well-being is, is to a large extent based upon selling selling energy. Um, even for those that are, are perhaps critical of um, the Alberta, the new Alberta government, and, and critical of that position, of course, saying that we should uh, ex- be expanding our economy, any politician—that's motherhood—and any politician mm-hmm. is going to be supportive of that. But it's kind of um, uh, tr- trying to uh, wax over the fact that indeed um, the energy, the, what we're selling, is something that is really not uh, compatible with our, the concern with global warming, which c- Canadians themselves are probably hypocritical in the sense of wanting a strong economy yeah. and, on the other hand, wanting a, um, a much more carbon-free, greener economy. Um, and uh, the, the Prime Minister can say he's working for both, but it isn't quite that simple. Later on today, Andrew Scheer uh, supposedly going to announce his plan. What does he have to do? How can he make this work? Well, he, he's got the benefit of at least not being in government right now. I think uh, should the Conservatives get elected, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, should the Conservatives be elected come October, um, he's going to have a mess because he, uh, he is going to have, uh, uh, the, his party does, of course, very well in Alberta. It'll sweep much of Alberta, if not all of it. But um, on the other hand, he cannot take a very um, hard line in terms of offending um, environmentalists because environmentalists live disproportionately in places like Ontario, British Columbia, to be sure, Quebec also. These are all places where uh, the economy is not really based upon energy and where, in fact, most people, if they vote on the issue, not everybody votes because of this particular factor. There's other things, too. But uh, people that vote on this issue are much more likely to be concerned about, um, about the global warming concern. Um, I suspect he will try to take a meal. Frankly, I think he's, just, he's got to say something. Hmm. So he'll come up. He'll probably come up with something that's also relatively mealy-mouthed and, and, and hypocritical in the sense of talking about the fact that he wants economic growth. He will certainly not stand in the way of the principle of pipelines, but he'll also talk about the fact that he's very concerned about. In fact, I think they've already made noises in this direction that they want to um, uh, want to maintain the the, uh, the Paris Accord uh, principles into the future. I'm not sure what he's going to do. It, it isn't for for. Parties that are in um, in positions of having a shot at government—that's the Liberals and Conservatives—they've got. They, it isn't easy. They've got to please different constituencies. For the Greens, for the New Democrats, and maybe for the Bloc in Quebec, um, they can take a, a very uh, green—that is a very um, environmental position, knowing that they're not going to win that many seats anyway, and that they're certainly not going to be in government. So they have the luxury of try of taking one particular side of the uh, of the dilemma mm. over the other. But uh, Sheer cannot move in a particularly um, anti-environmental position either. He's going to have to say something that's relatively speaking coming out of both sides of his mouth. I'm not sure exactly what he's going to do, but he'll, he'll try to co- cover the difference. Fortunately for him, he is not in government. He is not the person that actually purchased Trans Mountain. I'm sure he would have purchased Trans Mountain because it's even more important for his voters. But it happened that it was on Trudeau's watch, not his. Barry Kay has been with us, political science professor at Wilfrid Laurier University. Barry, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. 
Happy to chat. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm kind of impressed with the... Uh... The Prime Minister declaring a climate state of emergency and then okaying a pipeline. And, you know, the quote from the Prime Minister, um, you know, I, I, I'm speechless, to be honest. But but the, the, the quote is, in order to bridge the gap between where we are and where we're going to be, we need money to pay for it. We should harvest some of what we have and invest in projects and what comes next building the clean energy future that is already on our doorsteps. I think that line resonates with Canadians, but that's not what he's been saying for the last couple of years. All they've been telling us is that, you know, while their hair is on fire, is that the world is coming to an end if we don't do something. And everybody who's got any common sense says, yes, but as the prime minister says, this takes time. We have to, it's a gradual transition. But he doesn't talk that way. You know, and, and, and many wonder if this will be the last pipeline, if it is, ever built. And I think that's what people are having a hard time with here, is that he sells one thing and delivers another. He sells to the far left, but then he drives more to the center right. And again, I don't have a problem with that because I think he should be building the pipeline. But that's not what he's selling. And while he's doing this, his environment climate wizard, Catherine McKenna, is screaming the world's coming to an end. So I'm not sure how you ride this fence. I don't think it's like going down a smooth banister. I think it's like riding a picket fence, if you know what I mean. Uh, Anyway, I I just, you know, and I I don't disagree with what the prime minister said here. And and I think a lot of Canadians uh, agree with what he said. But what he says and and what actually happens are two totally different things. And he has spent his whole uh, uh, tenure as as prime minister kind of riding the fence. No, not kind of, riding the fence. I mean, even when uh, all this started way back when with uh, the former premier, Rachel Notley of Alberta, and Premier Horgan of British Columbia, and both of them with the NDP government, but fighting like cats and dogs. And the Premier went in and said, oh, you know, uh, just between the two, you guys, you know, he sat between the two of them. And like a teacher in a sandbox, okay, you kids play together, but never came up with any sort of solution. Just kept punting it all down the road, waiting for someone else to make the decision. And now we've got a scenario where, I don't know, can you be everything to everybody or do you just end up ticking everyone off? Let's bring in Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP. Is he with us now? Uh, as well, senior analyst, GasBuddy.com. He is with us now. Dan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, good to be here, Scott. You know, I'm finding it fascinating. Like this, this uh, quote, in order to bridge the gap between where we are and where we're going, we need money to pay for it. We should harvest some of what we have and invest in projects that come next, building the clean fu- energy future that is already on our doorsteps. Why has he not been selling this instead of the world's coming to an end? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, 
Because I think some can, I think the majority of Canadians would agree with what he has said here. But that's not what he's selling. He's got, he's, he's screaming at everybody, making them feel bad, feel guilty, and that the world's coming to an end if we don't do something about it. So, which side, which prime minister do we believe here? Yeah, well, it's the 12% of Canadians out there who want to vote green, and uh, for them, there's no other issue. So, you know, that's probably what it comes down to, is that they desperately need that. They know that the NDP is pretty much finished. Uh, they've got to be able to take up all those NDP votes before the Green Party and the Bloc Québécois scoop them up in, in respective uh, parts of the country. You know, I don't know where the Prime Minister is going, but I do come back to what I earlier thought, that this project is not going to get done yet. And um, uh, it's, you know, it's nice to talk about construction and things like that, but I, I sense that uh, this is just sort of... Uh, trying to bridge two uh, groups that do not and cannot speak to each other, certainly one that refuses to acknowledge the good work that's been done by the other. And here I'm referring to the green hardliners who've refused to accept the fact that uh, the stewardship, the way in which we conduct the extraction of resources in Canada is second to none as far as environmental stewardship is concerned, not to mention the human rights record. We go over that again, but for me, this is really... Uh, it doesn't matter what he says. I think he has to understand that pandering to the green eco-alarmists uh, serves no one's interest. And it certainly isn't in the country's best interest to allow them to take us down the sinkhole of saying that the sky is falling and if we don't do something like killing our main uh, generator of wealth in this country, we're all going to go uh, and burn up in the next 10 to 12 years. So that, to me, is the hyperbole uh, that has the policy of the extreme left. And unfortunately, I think that's going to take 10 or 15 years to happen. But yeah, the uh, keep it in the ground, the, uh, the so-called leap manifesto, which sounds a whole lot like what Mao put, proposed 40, 50 years ago, uh, is alive and well in Canada and only alive and well in Canada because everywhere else people are not really, you know, tuned into the fact that uh, this kind of gibberish is really leading to... Uh, significant economic and not to mention social dislocation. That being said, the Prime Minister has made the call a couple of times now. Why would he stall it now? Uh, because he's he, he's feeling the heat for making the decision, so stalling it's not going to help him. He's, he's ticked off the people he's going to tick off. So what would be his benefit of stalling it now? Why not just, you've made the call, you've done what you've done, and, and move on with it? Yeah, no, I think he's waiting for another court challenge, and he knows that's coming. So that'll that'll block it, and he'll be enough to, uh, you know, to keep things going. At the at the very least, uh, he'll probably start to say, you know, we have to do some work here and around the corner. Nothing really significant in terms of actual breaking ground in in British Columbia, but rather, uh, you know, just getting the permits and whatnot. That may take six or seven or eight months, and then we'll see what happens and the level of protest. By then, he's passed the election, and at that point, it's someone else's problem, or it may very well be uh, put to an end. Uh, in other words, let's just see what happens in October, because if this thing isn't built by October, which we know it can't be, unless <laughs> we can wave a magic wand, uh, the reality is that unless the Conservatives happen to form a majority government, uh, the Liberal, Black Québécois, Green, NDP coalition, they're really all in the same bunch, the bunch of them, uh, they, they find the energy industry as an inconvenience uh, and certainly doesn't fit the uh, the mantra of what they're trying to attract, which is that last 10, 12% of the vote out there that's uh, voting strictly on climate and, uh, and and other forms of alarmism. What they're really, uh, what we're potentially looking at is if uh, Mr. Trudeau wants to form a government with less seats than Mr. Scheer come October 21st, uh, they're going to have to kill this uh, particular pipeline. So that's what we're up against. 
and that is going to be sent to the world in no less than 125 days. And that should pretty much be the death knell of uh, the Canadian energy and oil and gas sector uh, for the foreseeable future. Because as long as we keep going down this road of navel-gazing and uh, kicking our golden goose in the head, we're going to all wind up in the poorhouse. So you don't think, uh, from a political standpoint, that he has to make a call either way and follow it through? He can just continue oh. on delaying this and saying, I don't know, well, we're doing what we can, we're asking, we're talking no, to everybody. he knows it's going to be a challenge. He knows yeah. that the, the courts are, someone's going to win somewhere. Uh, he knows that this is going to, even the, the, the process of getting the permits is going to take several months. So he's free and clear, and he gets past the election, which is his biggest problem. Uh, it's my concern now is that... Uh, this sort of uh, faint hope that's been given here, and I call it that, and people are going to be surprised, but this faint hope that has been given here. Like, honestly, uh, Dan, like, I thought you'd be happy because of this, but you're, sound, you're sounding more and more like this isn't going to happen even with this announcement. No, because they delayed it too long. They didn't uh, exercise uh, declaratory powers or use peace order and good government, uh, which they used to impose a carbon tax here in Ontario, Saskatchewan, but it, but a change in government could totally reduce, uh, reverse all of that. Well, a change in government, unless it's as I said, a majority conservative government, uh, if it's any combination yeah, of a yeah. coalition between uh, the usual suspects, and they're all the same. If you vote Green, vote NDP, vote Liberal, vote Bloc, you're voting for pretty much the same thing on this file. They're all going to want to see as condition for their support to prop up uh, a, a Liberal government. They're going to want to see that this uh, particular project uh, is dead and gone. So... Uh, you know, that's, uh, it's reckless, but the, the, it, this really comes down to people. They're either going to have to sharpen up and smarten up, or they're going to wind up with a very serious uh, economic fiscal problem in Canada, mirrored, which will have really no, uh, which will be nothing compared to the constitutional crisis that's about to be unleashed, because the Western Canada, certainly the prairies, uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta will have none of this. Why bother declaring or why declare a climate state of emergency a day or two before you make an announcement like this? I mean, it, and this has got to make people cynical right here because clearly this was done to soften the blow of the political announcement regarding the construction <laughs> of the pipeline. So, I mean, it's amazing how he's trying to suck and blow here. And again, I think he'd have more, he'd have an easier time selling that quote that I just told you if he would pick one position and stick to it as opposed yeah. to trying to be everything to everybody here. Yeah, well, he didn't want to do that. He certainly doesn't want to do it. As most of his ministers have been, you know, really uh, outed in the past several weeks as to comments they've made about burying it, keeping oil in the ground. Uh, look, let's make no mistake, this this group of liberals is NDP green heavy. And uh, so whether you like it or not, they, they come from that particular ilk. Well, Gerald Butts, his, Gerald Butts, the former advisor to Trudeau, was the, the president, was he not, of, of the World Wildlife Fund? The chief of staff to yeah. the Minister of the Environment, the chief of staff to the Minister of Natural Resources, the chief of staff to the Minister of Energy, uh, you know, uh, here in the, in the Durham region, Katrina Gould, your minister for whatever, uh, democracy, all of them have made pretty strong public statements about killing Canada's energy sector mm -hmm. and making this transition. Look, I heard this play... 9, 10, 11, 12 years ago. I heard the same nonsense, the same excuses, except that it's a little bit more militant now. It's militant because we have a generation of children who've been brought up to believe that the world is going to end in 10 years. I know, I have five children that go to school and I hear what they're being taught. Without reservation, you accept this or you are looked at and frowned upon. But the fact is that at the end of the day, Canada is becoming really the guinea pig, the, the petri dish of what uh, eco-activists can do to shut down an oil industry, uh, an energy sector. What they're actually doing is inviting economic and 
possibly political chaos in this country, the likes of which we've never seen. And it would put the constitutional challenges I saw and participated in in 1981, in 1995, uh, and in 1982 with uh, the rise of Western alienation to shame. So that's really what we're dealing with here. It's a very, very dangerous situation. Uh, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer going to uh, supposedly announce his climate strategy uh, this afternoon. What can we expect here? I mean, what does he have to do? How can he add to this discussion? I don't know. I mean, I don't speak to Conservatives. Uh, They don't speak to me, and I certainly don't speak to Mr. Scheer. Um, But I suspect that one of the clues that I saw last Well, wait a sec, Dan. The Liberals aren't speaking to you anymore. Now the Conservatives aren't. Do you have any friends left? Are you on an island? Am I your only buddy here, Dan? Come on. Yeah, it's the new Liberals I'm not talking to. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Yeah, the neoliberals, the ones who just became Liberals when they were offered an opportunity because they were all part of the virtue signaling, which is the Liberal Party today, versus the pragmatic Liberals I worked with, grew up with, fought with for the 40 years. In any event, let's go back one step to the question as to whether or not uh, Catherine McKenna last week said she would not increase the carbon tax on gasoline, for instance, to meet the Paris Climate Accord. So what is, how is she going to meet that? Well, simple. They have proposed, they've already put into place, and they're about to gazette uh, the regulatory framework for the clean energy standard. That will mean significant uh, reductions in emissions on anyone who produces CO2. I guess I better be careful I don't breathe too much or exhale too much. But any large emitter is going to have to pay. And, of course, when they pay, they have two choices. They pass it on or they go to another jurisdiction where they don't have to put up with this nonsense. And that will be the United States or somewhere around the world. That is where the cost of living will continue to rise. It will increase. My sense is that that's where Shear is going, is that he's going to say, all right, Emitters have to pay. We're not going to be subsidizing them. We're not going to be giving large, brand-new cement plants in Quebec uh, millions of Canadian federal dollars so they can spew out more CO2 while tut-tutting uh, our energy oil sector in Western Canada. That's called the Daniel Lake Cement Project, by the way. Uh, what we're going to do uh, is uh, is recover it from them, ensure that there's a credit system that they trade among themselves, uh, that uh, industry understands that uh, they have an obligation here. Uh, we'll get our emissions in order, but we're not going to do it by bludgeoning and and, and, uh, zero-targeting consumers. I think it's going to be very hard for him to do that. At the same time, though, it's going to create a very, very different contrast, uh, study in contrast. It's when the Liberals have backed off on increasing the carbon tax. They know this is a non-seller. They know that it's going to hit them hard at the polls. I saw what it did to us in 2008 when I said it was a dumb idea, uh, and we lost that election. Mr. Deal failed badly in that federal election. Uh, I don't think people's minds have changed. They want and understand the importance of environment, but they also recognize environment means, you know, cleaning the waters, cleaning our soil, ensuring that we have tangible uh, pollution objectives as opposed to this nonsense that there is only one type of pollution, it's CO2, that's the kind of stuff that allows plants to grow. Uh, what happens next with the Trans Mountain expansion? Uh, the PM says construction this season. What happens next? Well, I mean, I don't know what that means. Yesterday, the, uh, I had one particular reporter saying, uh, as I was tweeting this stuff moment by moment, listening to what the Prime Minister had to say, I didn't get a definitive on what he meant by construction season. And it took, uh, I suspect it was Joyce Napier of CTV to finally ask the question, number six, after the first five, we're really about climate and environment. We're talking about a pipeline to 
to bring forth the idea, the notion that we need to talk about, uh, you know, uh, the ability for the country to pay its bills. And yet for the media, the bubble in Ottawa, the media there, it became the sixth concern. And the rest of them, you know, very few focused on, on the issue of construction. I think the Prime Minister left it vague. He didn't say construction. He didn't say spades in the ground. He didn't say get the machinery moving. What he said is, yeah, you know, during the construction season. Well, I bad news for you. In any part of this country, construction season is four seasons. And more importantly, yeah. <laughs> uh, for the pipeline industry, it can be any time. I just don't think this is going to happen. And I've told you the soft costs, the soft uh, work, the, uh, the paper pushing will be the first thing that goes. That's going to take several months. How do you think the NDP or the Greens are going to position this? Well, the, the NDP is in big trouble, as we know. They've now fallen in the polls below the green. So everyone is trying to be green and outgreen the green because yeah. they need that. They're desperate for that five percent. The the five does this does this take away that does this take away that ability from the Liberals now by approving this pipeline? Is that does it make it official that they can't outgreen the Greens now? Well, yeah, it wouldn't really matter. Uh, I was there in two thousand and eight when we sat down with the Greens and said we won't run candidates in this riding. You don't run candidates in that riding. At the end of the day. If you come up with 20 seats, count them as part of ours. We'll work together. We'll form a coalition, and we will kill this thing once and for all because the Canadian public doesn't uh, is ambivalent. And uh, if the Canadian public is ambivalent, then and you want to, uh, as it were, you know, uh, drain away 40 billion bucks coming to your country, invested in a, in a key sector, the most important sector that drives our economy and drives our wealth. By all means, I you know my my point to Keynes would be, but don't complain when the government doesn't have money to pay for your pensions, pay for your health care, pay for your teachers, pay for your social services. Look, I can't be more emphatic than this, Scott, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but people really have to smarten up here. Dan McTagg has been with us, former Liberal MP, senior analyst, GasBuddy.com, uh, reacting to the announcement yesterday that the government is going ahead with the Trans Mountain expansion. Dan, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, Scott. Cheers. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're going to talk uh, with Tim Powers, Vice Chairman Summa Strategies. He's advised national party leaders and cabinet ministers and such. Uh, touch on a couple of things, including uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline and Doug Ford uh, and the um, the chorus of boos that he seems to see, uh, hear when he goes from uh, some situations to situations, certainly with the uh, Toronto Raptors uh, victory parade and celebration uh, that was the other day. Let's bring in Tim Powers. He is with us now from Summa Strategies. Sim, uh, Tim, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. No problem, Scott. Happy to talk with you today. Lots on the docket, as you say. I know. Let's start with federally. What are your thoughts on the whole Trans Mountain thing? I mean, the the quote that uh, I had in my commentary today that that the Prime Minister used, I thought would resonate with a lot of Canadians. However, uh, I think the hard thing or the hard issue here is... Canadians are wondering which prime minister they're going to get. Uh, he says, in order to bridge the gap between where we are and where we're going, we need money to pay for it. We should harvest some of what we have and invest in projects in what comes next, building a clean energy future that is already at our doorsteps. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of Canadians, but that's not what he's been saying. He's been screaming for the last two years that the world is coming to an end if we don't do something. That's way different from this statement. What a shock. A leader of a party, particularly the Liberal Party, that's probably, uh, through electoral success, 
perfected talking out of both sides of their mouths, looking like they're talking like out of both sides of their mouths again, or his mouth. In but this why case. not I mean, just? But why not just take one of the strategies and run with it? Because at the end of the day, that way, mm. that's the problem, mm. right? So you, I'm sure you've talked about this already. You had the spectacle here on Tuesday night. Uh, in Ottawa, where I am today, of the Prime Minister's government sponsoring a debate uh, in the Commons around whether a climate emergency needed to be called or not, and that motion passed, and they described the need for a climate emergency, or that was Monday, I guess, then yesterday, you have the Prime Minister, which I support, I think many Canadians do as well, uh, adding a, a second approval or another layer of approval to the Trans Mountain Pipeline. I mean, he's trying to say, and I don't think it's entirely uh, impractical uh, to say that, look, we do have to make choices about the environment, um, and we also need to manage uh, the opportunities our economy provides us through our resource bases. But you're right, his language maybe yesterday was the most moderate it's been because usually if you're not for their climate plan uh then somehow you're trapped in the dark ages and you're part of a group who's looking to bring ruination upon the world but yesterday was a bit different in that regard um it's a tough one right because trudeau does need support in different parts of the country uh for uh, for him to succeed in the next election. And some of that support is not heavily weighted on the environment. It's more weighted on can he deliver in key economic areas. And many of those economic areas in the other parts of the country are still resource-based. So he's uh, he's, he's trying to skate, <laughs> skate on a lot of ice. All of it may be very thin. Um, but but it seems that he could probably sell this plan if he wasn't always catering to the extremes. Yeah, um, true. Because when push comes to shove and it's time to count votes, that's when the rubber's going to hit the road. It is. Um, And I think he's going to say, look, he's going to say just what you said. Look, I I may have been forceful in advocating for addressing climate change, but, but we have to be. But I know... You know, I'm sympathetic. I appreciate there has to be a transition period. We're not there yet. I think he's hoping that, you know, a vast majority of Canadians who will vote will tune in closer to the election, and he will have a number, in his view, a number of boxes ticked. Look, yes, I, I supported a pipeline. I'm trying. I bought a pipeline, so that tells you how much I support it. Yes, I, I want to act aggressively on climate change. The two are not mutually exclusive. Um, those of us who have paid closer attention to him and his rhetoric will do as we're doing today, call him out. But he's hoping uh, more Canadians will be listening when he wants them to listen and needs them to listen, which is we get closer to October 21st. So is he selling a mixed message here, or were we oh. just not understanding it? Oh, it's mixed messaging. Well... Uh, it, it, some will deter, say it's a mixed message. I, I don't. I think the way he does it can make it come across like it's a mixed message, uh, and that is the polarizing language about yeah. you, know, you must act on climate change. In reality, it's the real message. I've seen data that our firm has done abacus that says the vast majority of Canadians recognize that yes, we need to act on climate change. Uh, that same large group of Canadians also uh, recognizes that there has to be some sort of orderly transition because we can't just all of a sudden 
abandon uh, all of the projects and economic opportunity that we have without another form of economic ruination. So, you know, Trudeau sees that data as well. So, so why not? Why not? In trouble. Why not react to that? Because that's where the majority of us are, rather than than pander to extremists who just distort the message. What you describe as pandering to extremists, and what I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you in that description, is he will frame up as leadership. He will say, look, I've had to take a real tough stance to get us moving along, because if we didn't, we failed. But I've listened to your interests as best I, best I can mm. to make sure that you still have those, what was it he used yesterday, strong middle-class jobs, right? Mm. So then that phrase is back again now, too. Now, he's going to get... He's hoping that the commentary that he will get will drive people to a conclusion that, hey, he's doing the best he can, because he's going to have the NDP who will say, uh, you know, there should be no pipeline, you should meet your Paris targets. He's going to have the conservatives say, are you really that committed to the pipeline anyway? So he's hoping that through that sea of 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 opposition commentary, people will say, well, hey, maybe he cobbled together something that isn't that uh, that bad. Well, we will see how quick, I mean, I, he suggested yesterday that construction was going to begin soon. Mm-hmm. Um, let's hope so. Uh, but you know, when is this really going to make a difference? And don't forget, Canadian taxpayers are on the hook for this. Uh, can we sell this? Can we get our money back? So there's lots of points of criticism still to be had here. And I, he's he's had some significant credibility challenges that we've talked about. So maybe the messenger, even with his mixed message that he potentially could sell in a different era, won't be as potent as he once was. Uh, why declare the uh, national climate ch- uh, state of emergency and then do this? I mean, it, 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 it looks now that the only reason he did that was to soften the political blow of the announcement yeah. of, a, of, of a pipeline construction job. Well, you guys declared one in Hamilton, didn't you? Ottawa's declared one. I mean, there was, there was you know, all politicians in what I would call CYA, so it's covering your ass, are yeah. doing that. Yeah. Say, oh, yeah. look, we care about it. We, we really do. We're declaring climate emergencies. Well, what do they mean? Nothing. Yeah. Right? In real terms, what do they mean? They mean you've heard people, and you can say your environmental advocates that we hear you. Okay, great. You've heard us. What are you doing? The next day you're approving a pipeline. I mean, it's how gullible do people uh, or politicians assume people are. And Trudeau's not the only one guilty of that. As I said, there are lots of municipal politicians yep. declaring climate emergencies, but not allocating funding or changing the way they do their planning at a rate fast enough to address those who want that change manifested. Uh, as we've talked about many times, uh, one of the pillars of, of the Liberal campaign is climate change. Uh, will the announcement of this pipeline expansion and then prior to that, the declaration, will that help or hurt him? Well, it won't help him in Alberta because they just don't buy what he's selling in Alberta. But this isn't about Alberta. I think this is about, um, you know, Ontario and other places because the, the, the approval message is also about certainty in the business climate because that's been a big rap on Trudeau. And we've seen all these premiers, Ford included, elected saying, look, we're going to open the country up for business because the federal government is giving such mixed messages. So the approval of the pipeline may help him in Ontario, which is key. Uh, for him electorally, it 
probably helps him in BC, which is a key electoral battleground because there are still more British Columbians than not who, according to recent polls, uh, support the pipeline. Uh, it'll hurt him in a few areas because some of his harder core environmental supporters who want no compromise may bleed off, but perhaps he's hoping they bleed to the Greens and they bleed in, at a level enough to lead to some vote splitting that works for him. So I suspect that's some of the, the calculation that's there, Scott. So the message is we care about the environment, but we're going to get the pipeline built. <laughs> yes, and don't forget, we're going to make sure that Indigenous people are properly consulted, right. as they should be. Right. I'm not making light of that, but... It, 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 Trudeau presents a vision of the world that is arguably idyllic, and I, wouldn't it be great if we could all have that? But sometimes he leaves out the messy details about how it gets done, uh, and sometimes those are pretty messy. Uh, all right, let's switch to uh, provincial side of things. And uh, Doug Ford uh, won a majority, and and all was well. And then, as it appears, the attack was on, and the polls have just continually slid, appeared to slide for for this party. Uh, and then, of course, the Raptor victory parade yeah. and, and rally and such. He's booed up there. Your thoughts on this? And as a strategist, how do you take this stuff? Well, I thought actually the worst thing was less the booze and the blow-off that Messiah Jerry gave him in that video when he either didn't know who Doug Ford was or was expressing some dissatisfaction when he just kind of brushed by him, uh, barely shook his hand, and embraced two security workers with uh, greater enthusiasm. Um, yeah, if you're Doug Ford, you can't get too fussed by that, right? You can't not show up at the parade. You're the Premier of Ontario. Uh, you got to lend your support there. You're a self professed sports person. Um, in other circumstances, maybe you duck it, but this is a historic opportunity. I, I think if you're Doug Ford, you say, oh, you know, it's just like sports. You win some, you lose some. I was there for the Raptors, and that's all that matters. If people don't like me, they don't like me. Maybe it's because I'm doing you know, the, the hard work. I think you just take it on the chin and, and go forward because uh, you really had no other option. You had to be there as the Premier of Ontario. Does this sway public opinion? Um, well, I think the people who are booing are quite unlikely to support him anyway. Uh, I mean, that was pretty central Toronto, um, which isn't uh, really Doug Ford territory. Um, you know, how many of the two million? Well, it may, it may have may have may have been a bit of a reality check for him and his mm -hmm. team. Um, but I suspect it'll all get blown off. Uh, you, you never want to be at the story subject of a national news story saying, you know, you were booed because people are unhappy with you. But again, won't be any real surprise. Does it change the course? Does it change the tone? I think they need to change the tone and the style in which they do things anyway, if they uh, want to improve their standing. So maybe that has some influence there. Does it matter that uh, some of the same people who booed Doug Ford uh, also cheered when Golden State Warrior Kevin Durant snapped his Achilles? Yeah, that's a good point, uh, and that's terrible, right? Uh, having uh, having competed in in, in high level sport, you never do that when an opponent uh, gets uh, gets injured. That's just poor form. So, I mean, Ford can make that argument and say, "Hey, look, you know, uh, they didn't treat Kevin Durant well. They didn't treat me very well. That's just unfortunate." I think we both, uh, you know, both both will look past it all. You try and be the bigger person. I think can Ford do that? 
we'll see. I don't know what he said or not said about this, to be honest, since it happened on uh, earlier in the week on Monday. Uh, the comparison um, more to uh, speak to the passion that people have when they're in crowds like this and, you know, the sort of herd mentality. Uh, again, I, I don't think that uh, people were, were booing because uh, Durant went down. They were booing because they saw an advantage for their team. Uh, is that just speak to the passion of the events like this? Yeah, of course it does. But, I mean, look, anybody who's paying the money they were paying to go see that game uh, where Durant went down, uh, well, one would assume, yes, they're passionate, but, two, they know something about the sport, and you never do that. I, I mean, I've been in sporting events all over the world, and even when the great enemy of the team that you're cheering for uh, gets injured or whacked, uh, with the exception of the odd hockey fight, you you, you know, you you recognize the, the, the fact the person is a person, and being injured uh, is is not the way you want to achieve uh, achieve the win or get the win. So, but with Forge, you know, I think as it relates to to all of this, uh, he he's probably heard worse. I would suggest mm. not, and he will hear worse in public settings, and he probably hears worse every day in Queens Park from the protests that appear there. If you're a politician. Uh, you got to have pretty thick skin, as they say, and let this stuff roll off of you, because if you let it affect you, you will have a miserable existence. Uh, how does he take this into the next election? Will this continue, or are they just getting rid, and many have said this, that you know, uh, a strong political party will get all the really ugly stuff done out of the, you know, in the first part of the mandate, and then uh, cheer it up a bit towards the end? Well, I mean, if you get there's decisions, which I think that argument is based on. Look, you can make tough decisions, and you and you suffer the consequences of the decisions in the front end. That's an old political strategic practice, but it's, it's the style. I, I think it's the style yeah. and the manner in which mm-hmm. the government communicates. Uh, and you know this well in your business. It's how you say things and how you do things that I think are causing him more difficulty. Yeah than the decision. So I think they have to look at that and see if they want to continue down that course and is it sustainable both to achieving their agenda and to getting reelected. Maybe they're not interested in getting reelected. That may be true too, but that will be a rarity most politicians hmm. are. Uh, one more issue, the Pride Parade. Obviously, uh, Ford took a stand not to go in Toronto's because Toronto's uh, Metro Toronto police were being banned from the parade while wearing uniform and such. Uh, then turns around and goes and appears in the uh, York Region Parade and marches side by side with York Regional Police. Um, your comments on that? I'm glad he went to the parade. I'm yeah. glad. Uh, look, I'm what message does that send? <sighs> It's a recognition. I think it says a few mess sends a few messages. One, it's a recognition how important pride parades are uh, to a part of the broader Canadian community, LGBTQ2 community, and and they are important. And if you're a political leader, should show some respect. Uh, I think marching, you know, in the parades is something that should be a normal thing for all conservative politicians as well as other positions. I think you're okay, as Ford did, to say, hey, I don't necessarily like the way you've in Toronto dealt with the police. I don't think that that's fair. I think that's a fair bit of demarcation. And if they, he went to the parade in New York and the police uh, and, and he was comfortable there, then then good. I think there's not one, you know, right way to handle handle 
circumstances. I think you look at them on a case-by-case basis, but you should, at least as a first instant, uh, be willing and, uh, and and respectful enough to uh, walk in those parades if there isn't another issue that is uh, challenging you from doing that. Tim Powers has been with us, Vice Chairman Summa Strategies. Tim, as always, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. You're welcome, Scott. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.